All right, we're back in Thessalonians. Uh, Second Thessalonians, sorry. There are two of them. And we're in chapter 2. We're going to pick right up where we left off last week. We're in verse 13. I can't remember the page. If you don't have a Bible, then please feel free to pick one up back here. Ben's holding one up if you need one. Uh, He will help you find Thessalonians if you need to. I think it's like page 650 or something like that. I cannot remember. Um, But he will help you if you need that. We're going to be looking at it. So I think it might be helpful to get it in front of your eyes. Uh, I really want you to see it. I want our focus to be on what is written here. So it helps me to be able to see it, to kind of absorb it. So if that's you, then definitely pick one up. He's already got it opened up. Awesome. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 we're going to go through the end of the chapter this week so here we go but we ought always to give thanks to god for you brothers beloved by the lord because god chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our lord jesus christ so then brothers Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So, uh, I know that Tanner already mentioned this when he was getting started. I just thought it was interesting because... uh, He got to pick up right with the eschatology stuff, which is in Thessalonians, and pretty much he leaves, and it go. We we slip back into where we were before. I was doing a lot of unity, a lot of how much Paul loves the church in Thessalonica, and it's like immediately we get back into that. So it's interesting to me that I read that verse and I thought, man, it's like it's like I never left because we're right where we were before we started talking about the end times and the man of lawlessness and how Jesus is going to ultimately conquer evil and all those sorts of things. We're right back into it. And it's interesting that he, he just goes from that discussion and just immediately jumps back into this. It's kind of, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of odd, the contrast there, I thought. I was like, that's, that's weird You go from talking about the end times, the man of lawlessness is going to come, Christ is going to conquer all evil, and now he's going back to talk about how thankful he is to this church. Um, and so that stuck out to me quite a bit. It's like, man, haven't we, haven't we talked about this thankfulness? Like, he, he has mentioned this several times, and that immediately just, just stuck out to me, and I started thinking, okay, how many, how many times exactly has he, has he mentioned this? So I went back and looked through Thessalonians, and I noticed that this is the fifth time in the span of seven chapters that he is talking about how thankful he is for them. And that, that stuck out to me. He is very thankful for these Thessalonian believers. If you want to go back, and, or if you want to know the verses where he's thankful, he starts right at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 2. So if you go back just a couple pages in your Bible, you'll see this. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So he's thankful for their work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. You flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says it again. 
And we, thank, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it, what it really is, the word of God. So we thank you that you received this gospel as the word of God. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 9. He says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake because of our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So, and then again... Here in chapter 2, verse 13. So he is really, really, really thankful for these people. For all kinds of reasons. For their faith, their love, their hope in the gospel. Their perceiving that the gospel is the word of God. The joy that they have instilled in the rest of the church. He's thankful for that. He's thankful that their faith and their love for one another is growing. And he's thankful because right here, God chose the Thessalonians to be saved. So... I've noted this before, the Thessalonians, these two letters that Paul is writing or has written to this church, it's it's some of the most positive, affectionate letters in all the New Testament. Paul really loves this congregation. He is encouraged by all the good things happening in the midst of their church. And he's, I think that by, by just being constantly thankful... He is kind of demonstrating what he commanded them to do earlier on at the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 18. I know I'm jumping around a lot. I'm sorry. I wish I should have had it on the screen. Uh, If you need notes later, I can help. Uh, He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So he, he's demonstrating this, don't you think? He's told them to do this, but now throughout this letter, he is, he is showing this. And it's interesting that he's so positive because this is a hard time because they are suffering for their faith. The government is on them. They, they are afflicted. They're afflicted by, their, by society around them that does not appreciate them saying that Christ is king over everybody. Uh, and, and so they are, they're having a difficult time proclaiming Christ in the midst of all this like hardship. And yet, here is Paul in the middle of all this saying, Be thankful. Rejoice all the time. Pray all the time. And he's demonstrating that through Thessalonians. He's saying, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. And he, and he points out all these different areas where he is thankful for this church. And that, that stuck out to me. And, and I just think that, you know, going back, I know that within that sermon, I, I, I was out of town, but I went back and listened. There's a ton in those verses, so it was hard to hone in on any one of those things. But, but that, those commands that he gives back in chapter 5, would you say that that's you? Would you say that you're the kind of person that heeds that advice when he says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances? Are you that kind of person who has that kind of overflowing thankfulness? Like you're, you're going from talking about eschatology to saying, man, I'm just so thankful. Like that, that's not a transition that happens all that often. It's like you really want to get back to how thankful you are to God for these things. Does that, is that a mark of your life? Is that the Holy Spirit working in you 
making you thankful no matter what happens, no matter how hard things are, you're always thankful. Is that us? Can you say that of yourself? Because Paul is saying, back there in chapter 5, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that you rejoice in him and that you give thanks in the midst of all those things. So I noted his, his thankfulness. And, and if you go back and look at those verses, you notice who is he thanking in every one of those? Did anybody notice? I know that we, we read through a ton of them. huh? Thank God. He's thanking God. Every time, like if you go back and look at every one of those verses, I'll just read them really quick here. Not the whole thing. We give thanks to God. We thank God constantly. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you? We ought always to give thanks to God. We ought always to give thanks to God for you. Like he's, he's not thanking them, but he's talking to them. And even though he is really positive about them, like he has the highest opinion of them. He talks about himself as though he is like this, this doting father or doting mother. Like he, he's affectionate. He really loves them. So you figure if he's going to be, if he's going to say something nice about anybody, he's going to say something nice about the Thessalonians. But when he's, when he's expressing his thanks for them, it's never directed like at them. His thankfulness is directed towards God for every one of those things. And that's, that's interesting to me. Like, they, they were doing good things. They were, they were living the way they needed to live. They were encouraging the church around them. They were growing. Things were good. But he never says, he never says, thank you, Thessalonians. Thank you, church in Thessalonica. Thank you, Apollos or whoever's down there. <laughs> um, he's never directing his thankfulness at them. He's directing it towards God. He doesn't say, thank you for making the right choice to accept Jesus. You deserve an award and recognition for your achievement. Like, he, it's never towards them. It's always towards God. And I think that this, this, the way that he phrases this is interesting. Going back to 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, where we started. Go back to that verse. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God. That word ought, I feel like it's a little, um, it's lost a little bit of its meaning in our culture because we say things like, yeah, I ought to exercise more often. And it's true. But, but we use that kind of like in that way, like, yeah, I ought to do this. And I know I ought to do that. You ought to go see this movie. You, you know, like we say this all the time. So when he says ought here, I feel like that's kind of lost on us. But I was looking at... Um, some of, the, some of the Greek the, and the, the definitions of those terms. And when it says ought there, it's actually like literally to owe something. So when he says we ought always to give thanks to God, he says we owe our thanks to God. Like it's something that you must give. Not, oh, wouldn't it be great if you did this? And that, that's much stronger. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Why? Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. 
This is interesting. He's thanking God for their salvation. And I, I, I really hesitated to, to get into this. Because I know that like people just hear this and they just they hate it. If you know where I, you, some of you are already like, here we go. Um, and some of you have no idea. Um, but I felt like it, it needed to be said because I tried to get away from it in these verses. And I just, the more that I looked through it, I was just like, oh my goodness. It's a wave that just comes crashing over you. He is thankful to God for every good thing that has happened. And he is thankful that they have been chosen by God to be saved. He doesn't say thank you for being awesome people and choosing Jesus. You made the right choice. You did what you needed to to become a Christian and to be a part of this church. You guys are the best. He says thank God that he chose you to be saved. This made me think of a book that I read a long time ago. Um, The first time I was going to Japan, like in 2009, uh, a book by J.I. Packer. It's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He makes uh, some interesting statements uh, about kind of our perspective, like just our practical kind of living out this, this relationship with God and our salvation. He says... There is a long-standing controversy in the church as to whether God is really Lord in relation to human conduct and saving faith or not. In other words, if you're not aware, there is, there, there's like this centuries-long debate um, between these two realities that are in the Bible. The idea that we have the ability to make decisions. And also that God is in control. Those two things, they're hard to reconcile because we have little fallen broken brains and so you look at those two things and you say how do how do these fit together it doesn't make a whole lot of sense either either god's in charge or i get to make my own decisions how does this work uh he he makes an interesting argument that i feel like this book was written like in the 50s or something like that or the 40s and i thought the way that he writes it a lot of people today, I think, would frown on because he makes an assumption about his audience. So he's going to make a practical argument here for why everybody, he says, believes in the sovereignty of God. If you are a Christian, you believe in the sovereignty of God and you believe that he saves people. Uh, he says that there are a couple of practical ways that people express this. First of all, you pray. He says, the idea that you would even get down on your knees and humble yourself or, 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 or submit for a moment to God and to ask him for things and to ask for help for things and, and to, to ask for his wisdom and to ask that he move in certain situations is a practical demonstration that you believe in the sovereignty of God. Because if you didn't, why would you be going to him requesting things, asking for things? Asking that he move in the world, that he move in your heart, other people's hearts. He says the fact that you do that as a Christian demonstrates 
that you believe that God is sovereign, and rightly so, because that's what the Bible says, that he listens to us and that he, he works in the world to do his will. He brings it about. He also says, nobody, if they're honest with themselves, credits themselves with their own salvation. When you pray, nobody says, thank you, me, for being so great and choosing by my own volition and power to get to God. Like, nobody talks that way. When they pray, they thank God for the gift, the grace, the mercy that he pours out on us. And he also says that nobody prays to God for this, or nobody um, relies on themselves for the salvation of others. Like when we pray about others, for others to be saved, we don't, we don't treat it as though it's on them to earn it. We at, when we pray, God, please change this person's heart, work in this person, help them to see the gospel. Like those are all directed at God saying, work, work here cause us to see these things and he said and he's pretty bold like when i read that i thought wow he's he's making a lot of assumptions but he says every christian prays this way he says i've been around the world i've seen it this is how christians pray because it's how we ought to pray and so he says this this is an interesting statement regarding and and i've thought this he says on our feet we may have arguments about it the sovereignty of god but on our knees we are all agreed I think that it's interesting that he says that. And, and I find myself in agreement that deep down we all know that God is in control. But we, oh, we hate it sometimes. We hate it sometimes. Because, because don't we get to make decisions? Don't we get to have any say it's a mystery how these two things play together it's something that is hard for us to comprehend but those realities are both there in the bible that humans have a responsibility and that god is ultimately the one to thank for salvation not us if If it was by our own doing at all, we would have reason to boast. We would have reason to say, I'm better than them because I responded. I made the decision. I chose God. I made myself better. And I have every reason, if that's the case, to look down on everybody else and say, you you are lesser because... You have not made this choice. I know that that sounds harsh, and, and a lot of people recoil against that, but that's kind of the logic. Like, if you earned it, then, then you are somehow better than, in some sense. But that's not the way that the Bible presents this at all. It presents it as though this is a gift. This is something that we didn't earn. God gave it to us. And Paul, when he thanks the Thessalonians for all the amazing things that they are doing, And that God is doing in their lives. He doesn't direct it to them at all. He says, thanks to God. 
Because God chose you to be saved. So, um, that is right there. But I also, I tried to get away. I mean, I didn't want to talk about that. Because people just, they leave your church when you say things like that. <clears throat> but, I, I looked through the rest of it. And there are plenty of things that we could hone in on. But that just really stuck out. I looked through the rest of it, and I was like, okay, let me just see what else is being said here. Okay, let's, let's just see what else Paul has to say about this whole situation. So he says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. I was trying to think of like the verbs. Where, where is the action? When you're reading through all of these things, where's, who's, who's the one acting? Because that's kind of where you where you find the momentum, I guess, behind these things. So I just started trying to map out, like, who's, who's doing the acting in this? There's a few different characters. We've got Paul, Silvanus, Timothy writing the letter. We've got the Trinity, God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then we've got the Thessalonian church. So I just sat down and, like, mapped these out. And again, I should have put something on screen. But if you just kind of map out who's doing the acting in here. First of all, Paul, he's thanking. Okay, great. He's thanking God. And maybe you can make a case that down there at the bottom in 16, when he's saying, now may God do this, that's kind of like maybe him praying. So we, that, you could give him that one, I guess, uh, and say, okay, so he's, he's acting two times in there. And then the Thessalonians, he tells them, stand firm and hold to the transition, uh, transition, hold to the traditions that you were taught. So they get two, right? Two commands, do these two things. And then I listed out all the things that it's, it makes reference of that God is doing here. First of all, he loves his people. It says right there, we ought always to give thanks to you, brothers beloved by God. You are loved by God. And I know that these aren't strictly verbs, but God is doing the acting in these things. So he, he loves his people. He chooses to save his people. We've already seen that. He sanctifies he says that he's chosen you to be saved through sanctification. So he chose that sanctification would be part of the process, and he sanctifies you by his Spirit. He calls them. To this he called you through our gospel of Christ. He glorifies his people so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord. Now you could argue both ways, like, oh, well, don't they obtain it? Well, at the same time, he's giving it. He's giving the glory from Christ. So he gives glory. He glorifies them. Again, it says that he loves them later on down. Who loved us gave us, and gave us eternal comfort. And he gave us good hope through grace. May he comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Like God is, God is the one doing the work here. God is the one providing all of these things. He's the one who is working and, and, and moving people. And he by far gets the most oomph in this passage. And so I saw that again and I was just thinking, man, what are we going to, you want to argue about it? Do you want to argue about it? 
please don't. Is that enough? Can I say please don't? Don't argue about this. That God is in control. That that God is the one who gives us these things. He created the world. He planned it from the beginning. He chose his people to be saved. What do you have to gain? This is what I wonder all the time. What do you have to gain by asserting your own control? In that book, J.I. Packer says that most of the time when we are most confidently asserting ourselves, like when we're blaming, when we're, when we're not, when, when we attach something to ourselves, it's usually negative things. Like, we're sure that we are to blame for our sinfulness. And we are sure that we have screwed up. And we are sure that we are not perfect people. And those things, we can be confident in saying that our actions have not put us in a better place. And so when you think, when you think that's, that's true, like, what, what have I done that is, that is good? When the Bible says that all, all good things are from him. What do we have to gain by asserting ourselves as being in control? I don't think that you have anything to gain. James 1, 17 and 18 say, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I just kind of want you to, I want I want us to just soak these things in. Give it time to sit. Because people throw fits about this. People throw fits about what we're talking about right now. And I'm not, we're not even getting into necessarily all, all the details here. But for some people, they just, it, when they even hear the argument, they're like, I'm going to a different church. I am going somewhere else. I'm going to go find somebody who says what I want them to say. And, and so, frankly, I was scared to even have this discussion up here, to, to talk about this, because so many people just revile this. And, and I think that they do so to their own harm. I think that we have everything to gain by saying that God loves us and he chose us and he sanctifies us and he calls us through his son and, and he gives us comfort and hope 
He gives us grace. He establishes us. I think we have everything to gain by submitting to God and saying, you know better and you are in charge. And I think that that frees us up to to praise him all the more loudly. I really do think that. I think that when he's saying there uh, in verse 15, when he says, So then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the traditions. I don't think that he's putting it then on their shoulders and saying, Okay, since all these things happened, you need to do the work of standing firm. You need to hold to these traditions. You need to make sure that you are doing what you need to do. I don't think that he's then flip-flopping and saying, you're in charge now. I think that what he's saying, he says, so then, stand firm. What are they standing firm on? Their own ability to, to make the right choice, to do things the right way? I don't think so at all. I think that he's saying stand firm because God chose you. He is sanctifying you. He is calling you through the gospel so that you can obtain the glory of Christ. Like all of that, the foundation of all of those things that that you are standing on when you stand firm is not your ability to do everything the right way. It's God who is enabling all these things to come to pass. And so we stand firm in him, not ourselves. Because I think if if we are honest with ourselves, you are going to crumble on your own. We all have a history showing that we are utterly incapable. But he does say, hold to the traditions that you were taught. He's been going through Thessalonians. He provided correction regarding eschatology and all these other things. He's saying, don't be, don't be swayed by these other things. Believe our gospel. He says, he called you through our gospel. Why does he say our gospel instead of the gospel? He's saying the things that the, the word of God, what the, what the Bible says. So when other people want to come at you with something that came from somewhere else, not the Bible. Like Satan in the garden walking up saying, hey, didn't God say this? We analyze that in light of what we've been taught, what you know in the Bible, and you determine whether or not it's the truth or not based on the word of God. So we stand on on this, the word of God. And part of that is is learning to accept hard things, things that we don't want to hear, things that you might lose sleep over. But there is so much comfort here. Verse 17. There's so much comfort. And there is so much more to be had by surrendering and and by giving thanks to God for what he has done. For what is evident in the way that he's made the world, in the way that he's, he's worked out all these things. Romans 1 is talking about um, the wrath of God against unbelievers. And, and it kind of sums up by saying that God's invisible attributes, namely his, his eternal power, his power and his divine nature, 
have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So people who, who reject God are without excuse for even although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. I thought it was interesting going back and reading that after making this big deal out of Paul giving thanks. His thanks are to God. He recognizes what God has done in the world, through creation, through history, to bring us, fallen, broken people, to himself, to call us out, to love us. And he says that the right response to that is thanks to him, knowing that he did it. We don't thank ourselves for our own salvation or for anything that we have. We thank God for it. So... I don't know what's running through your brain right now, um, but I would encourage you to come talk to me, Tanner, if, if you struggle with, this, with, with what I'm saying up here. Um, test. Test what is being said. Do not run away from this. You do not grow by running away from challenges. You grow by wrestling with them. So... I would encourage you to wrestle with this and to test this and if we need to, to discuss this. But no matter what you do, be thankful to God that he has done so much for us. All right? We have an opportunity now to do that during response time. Okay? So sing even more loudly because you are thankful for what God has done in us.